Chapter 12 of What the Boys Did Over There by Henry Fox. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Retreat from Mons by Sergeant T.S. Grundy. I was one of the first 100,000 men of British Expeditionary Force sent to Belgium in August 1914. The great retreat from Mons and the different battles, rearguard actions, that took place afterward were some of the worst and fiercest actions that the British forces ever fought. Of course, we know that not so many guns were used and nothing like the barrage that is put down nowadays, but it was hard and severe fighting with hardships that are no longer necessary today. The Lewis machine gun and the new types today were not known then. We went to the field with the old Maxim type used in previous warfare. Such was the equipment of the first 100,000 men of British expeditionary forces. Our forces were spread out on a 22-mile front, just a mere handful of men that without a doubt saved Europe from Prussian rule, although thousands do not realize this. If the enemy had known of the weakness of our forces, he would have walked across Belgium and France. However, the enemy underestimated our forces, and the stubborn and determined fight of what the Kaiser called England's contemptible little army saved the situation. At Mons, it was a case of, if the enemy broke through the line, there were no reserves to bring up, so officer and man alike, we stood to the last. When the enemy broke through in certain parts of the lines, then came the hard fighting. Fritz would break through on the left flank and endeavor to cut us off. Then came the time man after man went down, and slowly we had to retreat, assisted by cavalry, against, literally speaking, hordes and hordes of Germany's best soldiers. Some companies were not so fortunate, being completely surrounded and annihilated, or taken prisoners, very few escaping to tell the tale, and those that escaped to the woods had no rations and lived like savages on anything that could be found. Unfortunately, not many of these men are alive today, being afterward captured by the enemy and killed by ill-treatment in internment camps or starved to death in the woods. It was when the retreat was looking very serious and no reserves forthcoming that the most wonderful and thrilling incidents of the war occurred, and this is vouched for by all who were there. When comrades were falling, one after the other, and the Germans advancing in great masses, angels appeared from the skies and seemed to stop the approach of the enemy. They appeared to fall back temporarily in sheer disorder. This was only a temporary collapse, but it gave time for better preparations on our part, and this is what saved us from being wiped out, as reserves were forthcoming afterward. An incident of the enemy's method of warfare by unscrupulous means came to my notice. We would not have lost half of the men we did 
at Mons if it had not been for this. It was the fault of a French colonel who was under the influence of his wife, a German woman, a spy of the German Empire, and she so used her influence over her husband that he kept back two or three regiments of reserves for three days, under the pretext of resting them, when they might have been up and probably saved the situation. This colonel was afterward court-martialed and shot, lord kitchener coming from england to investigate this our enemy as we have seen all through the war has used these unscrupulous methods we lost sixty thousand out of one hundred thousand first bef over half our army was taken prisoners killed and wounded out of my battalion there were twenty-eight survivors, I being one of them. After Mons came the great battle of Ypres, in which our regiment took part. Things were nearly always very brisk in this sector of the line. I remember one particular night my chum and I were out on listening posts when my chum thought he saw the enemy advancing. I looked and could not see them. He started making a row, and I warned him to be quiet, but he didn't heed me, when suddenly he went down mortally wounded. I dived to the ground, and in diving my hands came in contact with a man who had probably been dead some days. This was not an unusual occurrence. About September 15th, when we were up in Ypres again, there was a party of us who went on a bombing raid one night. Nearly every night a bombing party went out into no man's land. At this particular time, however, we were returning from a bombing raid, perhaps without as much caution as usual, when a shell burst right among us, killing every man except myself and a chum who was badly wounded. I, however, found I had escaped with but a few scratches, and taking along my chum, who had a bad wound in the leg, managed, after much trouble, to return to our lines. My chum, not being able to walk, made it difficult for me. I had to carry him back, and to look out for whiz-bangs, and avoid tumbling into shell-holes. The weather at this time of the year was very bad, raw and cold weather, up to our knees in mud and water, stuck in the trenches day after day and week after week. Such is trench life in winter time. But when springtime came again, then things started to liven up. Fritz was at it again. Our battalion was up at Ypres Salient, where a terrific artillery duel was being put up at the time. Shells were dropping all around, star shells illuminated the skies, and the word was passed around for getting ready to go over the top. It was dawn, and the rum ration having been handed around, the order was given, and over we went. Some were just up and over, and down they went. I remember our captain was one of the first to fall. His words as he fell were, Carry on, boys, don't mind me, and the boys carried on. 
all I could see before me was blood. It seemed as if I had no other object in mind but to kill. Such were my feelings as we went over. We hadn't advanced above three hundred yards when a bullet whizzed too close for my liking, and, turning my head, I saw my chum fall, and dozens of others, but our orders were carry on and get our objective. Next, our first lieutenant fell, and mustering us together, our remaining lieutenant, a mere youth of eighteen years, and a small handful of men, reached our position, not without severe loss of life. I remember one little incident. A German officer, lying severely wounded, called in almost perfect English for a drink. One of the boys, probably a little more human than some of us, went to give him a drink out of his water bottle. Then the Prussian officer drew his revolver and shot this boy. Those who witnessed the incident, I being among them, made short work of the Prussian beast. But this incident goes to show the Prussian's hate of his enemy. The Saxon troops are the most civilized of the bunch. An incident of just the opposite I witnessed down at the Somme. A wounded German soldier called for water to drink, and one of our Tommies kind-heartedly went and gave it to him. They conversed for a minute or two. The German spoke in broken English. He said to the Tommy, as he undid his tunic and displayed a Salvation Army jersey, I am a Salvationist, and the British Tommy replying said, So am I. They shook hands and the German fell back dead. Never shall I forget the sights that I have seen in the trenches we took from the botches. I remember one particular trench we took. We found a young girl, about nineteen years of age, who had one of her eyes taken out, an ear cut off, and her right breast severed. This was not an isolated case of the botches' villainy. I personally witnessed, in villages in France and Belgium, the bodies of old men that had been crucified or slowly tortured to death. I have seen a little baby bayoneted to a doorpost and the bayonet left sticking in the body. It was down at Luce that I was gassed. I have a recollection of the gas coming over and was unconscious for twenty-four hours and had oxygen pumped into me. When I returned to consciousness, I found myself in a hospital with a Red Cross nurse bending over me. Another sector of the line I was in was at Cambrai after my recovery from the hospital. Here we caught it pretty rough. It was the time that British divisions were being drafted off to Italy that things were lively. Several battalions were being marched off to Italy when Fritz broke through part of our line down south and advanced in mass formation. Then we were ordered to retreat. It was some retreat. Guns were left, ammunition dumps not blown up, and we retreated about thirty miles. Our losses there were great. However, in small counterattacks and skirmishes, which our battalion took part in, we captured quite a few prisoners.
I was quite surprised to notice how young some of these German soldiers seemed, not more than 17 years of age. In the early part of 1918, I was up in Ypres again, where one night we had, after severe fighting, recaptured a few hundred yards. I was just standing around in the captured trenches when a shell burst and a piece of shrapnel caught me. Down I went to awake once more in a hospital where the boys were all content and happy in spite of wounds. So was I, especially when I heard I was for Blighty once again. End of chapter 12